Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Extreming Disney, the podcast focused on all things Disney+. Plus. This week, me and my guests will talk about the latest big movie to hit the streaming platform based on the book series Artemis Fowl. But before we get to that review, I'm excited to mention a couple different things for you. First off, this is my 10th episode. Folks, we've officially crossed into double digits. And now that I have found somewhat of a feel for what it's actually like to get content out to listeners, I really want two things to happen. First off, I want to get better. I want to get better at hosting a podcast and running the podcast and developing future content moving forward. Secondly, I want to find new listeners. I I am so excited to see that people I don't know personally are actually stumbling across the podcast, which blows my mind. I am really thankful for that. But it's, it's my desire to make this more and more accessible to future listeners. How can this happen? Well, the best way you can help and ensure that to happen is to leave a review for the podcast. Would you take a few moments, even right now, you can pause this for a moment and just leave your thoughts and love for Extreming Disney. Um, You know, that can either be on like Apple Podcasts or on Facebook, and it doesn't have to be a long review. You can even just click on it to make a star rating. Honestly, that would help. Finally, I, I know I've gone long, so bear with me. I am, I am looking for an upcoming future guest for my show. Many of you already know this, but for those of you who don't, Disney Plus has announced that they're going to be releasing a live-action recording of the musical Hamilton with the original cast that will be dropping on July 4th, or July 3rd in time for Independence Day. Obviously, I want to cover this production on the, on a, the following episode after premieres, so I'm just throwing it out there. If you would like to come and be my guest for that week, let me know. I know very little about the play itself, apart from the hype that surrounded it over the past few years, so I would love to have someone on who, who would really add to the conversation around the Broadway musical itself. All right, with that, let's get on with the show as we review Artemis Fowl. Buckle up, because it's going to be a bumpy ride this week, friends. All right, so this week's guest is my good friend, Terry Bonney. Terry, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Of course. Terry and my friendship have centered around a few different things. And usually it's pretty entertaining. We do have a good time. We talk about a lot of different topics and subjects we're really interested in. Sometimes we will even, it'll get heated sometimes, so we'll argue about a few things. But we, um, we both used to work at the local movie theater. So collectively, we have watched a boatload of movies which we would talk about excessively while at work and in our free time. We also love podcasts, and we help each other find different ones that, that we both now love. And I think she turned me on to um, How Did This Get Made, and I kind of gave you the world of Kevin Smith and Smodcast. And finally, um, we share a love for reading comic books, which led us to take multiple trips to New York City Comic Con, so through the years, we have become really good friends who love talking about a lot of different things. Terry is also an avid reader, so having her come on to this week's episode was just a no-brainer for me. So Terry, <laughs> tell the listeners anything I left out that you're, you wanted them to know about. Uh, well, like you said, I am uh, an avid reader. Um, so... This week is great because you actually landed on a young adult series that I did not read when I was growing up because I was too busy reading Harry Potter. Sure. 
So that was cool. Um, I did dive into it a little bit in college. Um, I continued reading through college and I have an anthropology degree, half of a history degree, a little tiny bit of a music degree. So this kind of art stuff is really fun for me. Uh, I have been doing a reading challenge for the last four years now. This is year number four. Okay. So I try to read 52 books in a year and I have only read one book over in the last four years that I've already read and it was just to hit 52 for last year. I grabbed a poetry book I had already read and snuck it in. So that came out of me having too many books in my house that I hadn't read. So I decided I wasn't going to reread anything that I'd read before. And young adult fiction and fantasy and sci-fi are the ones I love the most. Yes. So this is pretty cool. Yeah, so when I when I saw the trailer and I knew that this was going to be coming up on Disney Plus, I was like And then I, I I I was thinking about a few people and then I was like once I heard that it was based on a YA novel, I was just like, "Oh yeah, for sure. Let's have Terry." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think our mutual friend Donna might be the only person who knows more about young adult fiction in our circle than I do. Okay. Maybe. Um she teaches me lots and lots all the time. Sure. So. Yeah, and as far as reading goes, I mean, as long as... I mean, if, if it has comic book panels on it, that's a good way to get me to read it. Right, you and I'm, I love comic books, but I'm exactly the opposite because my eyes get confused. Okay. With the, with the drawings, we read Akira in college, which is a manga. Wow, yeah. So it's black and white. And the version that we read was pretty uh, Americanized, so it wasn't back. It wasn't was they do right to left. Right, it's what would so be it wasn't backwards back for cover. us. Yeah, it was. It was still left to right, but since the text and the images are both black and white, I had such a hard time. Mm. But you put like Carol Danvers down in front of my face, I'm gonna read it. Sure. So. Sure. Okay. Yeah, and um, so there's a, definitely a lot of catching up to do for us but you know terry t- tell us what have you been doing lately as through corona and everything that's been going on in the world oh my gosh uh i finally finished arrow okay which is another thing that i always told you i was never gonna do sure i wept that's as much as i can say without I'm not, you passed me i'm, I'm not even caught <laughs> no up, so way don't... yeah <laughs> so that's as that's as unspoilery as i can get for something that finished so recently okay. it's just I wept, which knowing me is really not that much of a surprise. Right. But anyway, uh, I've been watching Lost for the first time. Oh, yes. (laughs) Which is just, I watch it with my best friend. They live downstairs. I live upstairs. And there's one character who gets shot in the stomach. Not to spoil a 10-year-old TV show here, but I'm not going to give it away. And I went... (gasps) And they texted me, and they were like, oh, we heard you through the wall. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And I don't even like him that much. Anyway, uh, I have a cat, so we keep each other company. Okay. And um, I'm running my first marathon this year. So wow. I started marathon training last week. Good for Now you. that all of my races have been postponed to the fall. Okay. Yeah, the last so, couple of years, you've really gotten into the running. 
Yeah, it, uh, you know, if there's anybody out there that I don't know who's listening that has anxiety, that is a thing that really is very helpful if you are just starting down that road. Mm -hmm. Just getting outside in the fresh air with the sunshine and moving your body, it's great. And then also, I collect running bibs, like collector's coins. I love them. You make some kind of... Um, quilt out of it eventually. <laughs> um, our friend Jeanette made me like a hanging board for okay. them. So I have them all hung up in my apartment. That's awesome. So, oh. All right. Well, hey, you know, um, I am very excited that you're watching Lost. Jess and I, I mean, I, I watched it when they were, it was premiering. And so going back and even in the, in the last year or two, showing it to Jess, we it's... got through it and she... <gasps> Yeah, it it was it was great showing it to her because it was something that we I could watch again through her eyes, which was just super fun for me. It's a wild ride. Yeah, like how much I knew about it. I think that was probably the first show of our generation where there were a lot of memes online. Okay, when it was coming out, so there's so much that I knew about it already, and so much that I like just didn't have context for it. Yeah. Um, so let's let's keep going. Let's go into our main topic today. We watched the movie Artemis Fowl, which is the latest movie to hit Disney Plus. It was originally supposed to come out in theaters. And they decided with everything going on with Corona, they were gonna release this movie. They were gonna premiere it on Disney Plus, which I honestly think was a really great move considering. Um, but Terry, I would like for you, cause you read the first book, right? I did. Yep. Um, so you are way more familiar with the source material than I am, but without going into the plot necessarily, how did you feel about the book in comparison to the movie? Um, the writer being, um, Ian, Ian Coffer or Oin, I, I don't it's, know how to say your it's name. It's Irish. Yeah. It's, it sounds so like it's... Ewan or, you know, Ewan. But it's spelled E-O-I-N, Coffer. It's Irish, Oin. and I never actually looked it up. But um, So, like I said earlier, this wasn't one that I read growing up. I meant to look up what year the books actually came out, and I'll actually do that while I'm talking. But the pacing of it, the movie versus the book, felt very similar because I read an article the other day that described... Artemis Fowl as kind of like Die Hard with fairies and kind of okay, which not having seen Die Hard, just getting a feel for the the pacing and the like hijinksy kind of feel of the movie. That's a travesty! You haven't seen Die Hard, but uh, keep going. Well, you know, <laughs> um, so that I feel like held up really well, book to movie because this. The book, the first one, moved really, really quickly. Um, wow, Wikipedia is letting me down. Um, 2001. Okay. So, this first book, for context, for the listener, 2001 would be... Well, that's when the movie of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone right, first came so, out. Right, so that would be this book getting published... Probably around, off the top of my head, probably around Goblet of Fire, maybe between Prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of Fire for you book fans. For the movie fans, 
uh, Sorcerer's Stone came out in November of 2001. So this book kind of is riding that, like, that last, like, pre-Hunger Games wave of young adult fiction that we had, which was the one that would have hit our generation. Sure. Um, So... Yeah, I thought the the pacing of it was good. I don't think the dialogue stood up okay. between the book and the movie. I think I think the screenwriter maybe kind of struggled a little bit with like maybe making preteens smart where like Yeah. Coffer kind of in a book I think it's a little bit easier to get away with a 12-year-old kid is a computer genius and a criminal genius and heartless. <laughs> and he, is a, he made a clone of a goat and he... <laughs> like, which is not a thing I remember them mentioning in the book at all. Like, in the book, he, like, was not at school because... He's a, he's a master of knowing ancient furniture and... <laughs> right. Um, which you'll have to forgive me because... This is where I'm super pretentious is that because I have read the book, like, don't ever ask me questions about Aragon because lordy lordy, I have nothing nice to say about that as a movie adaptation, but... I didn't think, I don't think I made it past the first 10 minutes of that movie. I think as a standalone movie, fantastic. It was so fun, but like, what a garbage adaptation of a movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but this one is this one's your pretty like standard fare where like the bones the bones of the book are there and they kind of did something really similar to the Dark Tower the Stephen King one yeah. that came out two years ago where uh, Artemis Fowl I think is six or seven books long the Dark Tower is six or seven books long so they they sat down and if, what I'm guessing happened is like there's potential for a movie here but we don't know if the momentum will keep up right. for it. So let's take a couple of these books and just smush them together. So people who read The Dark Tower understood what was going on. Right. People who didn't were like, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> and that's where that kind of fell apart. And I think Artemis Fowl was kind of the opposite because... I had read the first book, so I kind of was like, I know a little bit of where this is going, but since I didn't read the second one, I'm kind of losing the momentum for, like, sure. what parts are they pulling are they, from the second? Are they doing from the first or the second? Yeah. And honestly, for me, that's I think, was the biggest struggle with this movie. had a lot to do with the construction of the script. Not necessarily in the dialogue, but more so with what they included and kind of the the format of the of the the how it was plotted, you know, yeah. and and that's um the scriptwriter. It was adapted by Connor McPherson, and he is hasn't really done anything other than this. So it's kind of was a, a new thing. And honestly, I think where the director is Kenneth Branagh, Brana, whatever. I heard different people say his name differently. I heard yeah, Brana. He was he was that guy is great. <laughs> and honestly, I think, you know, he has both acted and directed um, Shakespearean movies oh, he's a in the 90s. Yes. Like, I. He's married to um, Emma Thompson for forever. And <laughs> When I think of him, though, it's really funny because my first exposure to Kenneth Branagh was 
Harry Potter. Yes. So he is just like really silly, um, you know, trying to climb the ladder, taking credit for like just such yeah. a silly character that in my head I had no idea how seriously people took Kenneth Branagh until yeah. I was an adult. Yes. And I was like, oh, this is like, he is like Alan Rickman. He is a like trained Shakespearean. Oh yeah. Stage actor. Yes. So that's wild. And I know and I've not, seen a ton of his movies, but. Right. And not only, you know, acting, but also like directing, you know, yeah, and, I, I mean, he's directed can't... and he's worked with Disney before too, in regards to directing. So he directed four. Oh, that's right. And yeah, he directed he um, the live-action Cinderella. So this is not his first time working with Disney, you know? Right. So I don't put this... any of the blame really on him for where this movie struggled. I really put it mm. on the script. Is this his first, aside from Cinderella, which I haven't seen, is this his first adaptation of a young adult or children's yeah. movie or book, though? I, I guess you could say that. I mean, I don't know, depending on how you would categorize Thor, you know, right. as, as far as a comic book well, goes. I think I kind of leave the Avengers ones as, like, their own thing because it's one of those, like, they're adult movies that if your kid can handle it, yeah, then you take them to it. Let's, let's get in a little bit further into the movie because, I mean, I think I'll talk about some more of my problems <laughs> in regards <laughs> to the movie um, moving forward. But um, let's talk about the, the main lead himself. Artemis Fowl, the character, the twelve-year-old boy. How did you feel about um, his character and the the um, the actor who played him, Ferdia Shaw? Which this was actually his first movie. How did how did you feel about the title character? That is adorable. So like, I think he hits that like they got a kid old enough that he could handle it but still looks young enough that you're hitting the target audience because mm-hmm. that's a defining feature of young adult fiction is the age of the protagonist. So you get a handful of books in that genre that were never intended to be part of it. Um, Lord of the Flies is a big example that they use. Mm-hmm. Um, that book was not written for children. Right. It's about children. But because of the age of the kids, a lot of times they will teach it in sure. middle school yeah. instead of high school or college. Um, Little Women, I do not believe, was actually written for children. But the first half of that book, they are young girls, like teenagers. Mm-hmm. So they, I think he's young enough that they really cast him pretty great as somebody that a younger kid would relate to sure um so that was cool i think he actually was one of the better acting performances i think i I think the dialogue was a little stiff but the book the book was better but still it's hard to put traits of an adult into a 12 year old but if you look at artemis's life Sure. Like in the book, his dad has been gone much longer, and his mother in the book is not deceased. She had a mental breakdown when Artemis Fowl Sr. disappeared. So he's just on his own with Butler and Butler's little sister, who is not the same <laughs> age as Artemis in the book. He's just left to his own devices, runs the whole house. Butler does 
you know, kicks butt and does whatever Artemis tells him to. And then his sister hangs out at home keeping track of his mom. Yeah. So it's tough to put those adult characteristics into a kid and not have it sound kind of stiff. Yeah. But I, I thought this kid did a great job. Yeah, I think, I think he did a serviceable job. You know, I thought, he was, I thought he was good. Sometimes, you know, kid actors can get a bad rap when it comes to movies, especially on ones that are adapted from, from something else. It, it is, like you said, really hard to have that, that translate from the page onto the screen effectively without it coming off forced or, right. you know. And I think, I think he, was, he was fine. I, I, there, was, there was times where I was like, this really does feel a little forced right. and doesn't really feel real. I, I am watching this kid act. It's, you know, Daniel Radcliffe, I think, is like catching like that is like the epitome of kid actors in a movie, and I think he was like catching lightning in a bottle. Like sure. he had the fluidity yeah. of an adult actor as a child, but and this kid gets kind of cl- like it's the one of the less cringy yeah child actors I've seen. Yeah, so I mean, I I found the character to be interesting but it was sometimes not very believable i felt like it was a little forced and i think there is something to be said about him being a young actor and like you said it's it's tough to get lightning caught in a bot like a bottle for the second yeah. time with like that you saw with emma watson and daniel ratcliffe you know so i i i would be interested to see what this actor does moving forward yeah me too. but i don't know it could also come down to the screenwriter if they're inexperienced because I noticed that some of the emotions that they wanted Artemis and the other characters to portray, like his dad disappearing and the fact that he's smart, like he's a genius and still a kid. Yeah. I don't, I think that the screenwriter maybe struggled with understanding how kids feel and express emotions. So. Yeah, and, that, and that's when you have like a, a kid who's too big for his britches kind of a thing, like Artemis, it's. It's tough to really put that... To see it on page is one thing, but to put it in front of you is... It's it's hard for it not to come across... Exactly. Whatever. Like when he's talking to the psychologist. And that feels... You're exactly right. That feels so different when you're reading it in a book and you know the book is supposed to be over the top. It's got fairies and trolls and centaurs in it. Then you're watching it on a movie and you're like, oh, people don't talk like that. Right. And so we're we're gonna kind of move things a little bit forward. Where where things really worked for me with this movie was kind of the first half or yeah. the first third of the movie when you're meeting Artemis and you're kind of getting a sense of his world, you know, um, primarily with his father and their home and the character of Butler and his niece Juliet, which I guess it was a kid sister as you said in the book, yeah. but in this it was his niece. Um, Colin Farrell, I thought for me was the best part of this movie. He, he's, he is the guy now that you cast to play dad roles. <laughs> cause it was funny cause he used to be kind of the bad boy of Hollywood, right, the yeah. Irish bad boy, you know, with movies that, you know, like in Bruges when that came out, which was huge. Daredevil. Dare. Okay. Well, <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah, he was, he was huge back in the late nineties, early two, um, 2000s. And now I've really seen him kind of fit this role of dad, you know, playing in Saving Mr. Banks, 
You know, he kind of played a dad role in The Gentleman, which came out earlier this year. Um, if there was a movie that he did with Evan Rachel Wood, which was super good, and he played a dad in that as well. And it's just like he's becoming this – he's kind of found a new role for himself. And I thought he's fantastic even in this, the little amount of um, screen time he had within this movie. This – I haven't seen Colin Farrell in a movie in so long. I can't even tell you. Like – Daredevil might be the last one I willingly sat down and watched, and that was 2004. So I thought he did a stunningly great job um, not having read the rest of the books and mm-hmm. having really a feel for Artemis' dad at all. But just as this movie is a standalone, I thought he was, you know, warm and dad-like, <sighs> even though you know that he's, like, a criminal, apparently. Yeah. So... It was nice to see the interaction that I didn't get in the book and some of, cause that is Artemis's motivation book and movie is trying to figure out what happened to his dad. And kind of get him back. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And then, um, so how did you feel about the portrayal of Butler? It was a, a big part of this. That was, this movie. that was pretty spot on. I think, um, there was, they didn't really stray too far on that one, and I liked that actor, mm-hmm. the like strong, big guy. I'm wondering if he has blue eyes in real life, or if they're like maybe leading into doing more movies, and there's something with Butler that I don't know because they looked, they looked very supernatural, right? And they looked done in post production. Right. So and I th- I think that's one of the troubling parts about this movie is is there going to be more? They set it up like there would be, right. but yet they smushed two of the books together. Right. Which which is not typically how Hollywood deals with book series. Well, it's it's kind of a cynical way of adapting a book into a movie. You want to you want to put enough in where it's able to say that you've justified a certain audience of the book, but you don't want to do so much that you don't leave yourself open for sequels. So it's it's kind of a, a fine line I think they were trying to walk throughout the whole making of the movie, which again, the script is I think mostly yeah. to blame for that. And nobody wants to go down the road Divergent went down where the last one just never even came out. <laughs> right, right. And I think that's, it's interesting because there is, there has been a young adult fatigue with, um, with these adapted right. books to movies. And a lot of them are stellar. So it, does kind of stink that they were going down the this makes money so let's make a bunch because Divergent was such great source material and Artemis Battle was great source material mm-hmm. and The Hunger Games and Maze Runner but now Artemis Battle I think has been long enough that people are maybe not as tired of it so COVID kind of stinks because I, I would really be interested to see what the box office numbers would have been for this movie. Right. But... I don't think it would have been good. I think, no, again, this, this is, is the best route. This is a pretty middle-of-the-road children's adaptation, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's too bad that some of that, that YA bubble popped because I think there were some great books that are not necessarily, you know, t- turn of the century or, like, didn't come out around the year 2000 or later. There's some, like, Ender's Game, The Giver, right. that had been out for decades. Right. You know, and, you know, I think while when those movies finally came out, people were like, 
oh, this is based on a YA book. I don't want to give it any, you know, any well, try. Well, and some of the history behind that, too, which is, this is some of the only content that I prepped for you. Some of the history behind Young Adult, like, people don't really take it super seriously, but... It was created as a genre in literature to bridge the gap between children's novels and adult fiction. Sure. So you're carrying the kids from, you know, Babysitter's Club and um, Boxcar Children, and you're carrying them over into, you know, like Jane Eyre and, you know, Little Fires Everywhere and, like, things that our parents are reading and you have all of the same themes that go through this young adult fiction. So it does get kind of written off. Right. And you get movies like The Hunger Games and Harry Potter and Maze Runner where our parents are also having their minds blown over how good it is. But a lot of these books get written off as being boring or trite or sure. overdone because they're not recognizing that all these themes... Like, Artemis' dad being kidnapped is like that's pretty heavy and his mom not being around and him having to try to fight for the family's reputation back like that's pretty heavy for like a kid but you're teaching them things that are going to carry them over into adulthood which is pretty cool so let's get let's get back into um there, there's one also other thing I want to say that I um, about kind of that that world before these two worlds collide the fantasy world and the real world um, I felt like the character Juliet, um, played by actress Tamara Smart, was co- totally under underutilized. You know, I don't know For anything sure. about her from the books. Obviously, I didn't read the books, but just watching the movie, I was like, they didn't really give this girl enough to do. I definitely agree with that. They didn't really utilize her too much more in the book, but enough. You know, she's part of Artemis's plans, right? Well, I feel like they, they had to include her in this movie to make the readers of the books happy. You know what I mean? But she didn't really serve any purpose within this story. Right. You know? Which I think is unfortunate because, honestly, I found her to be interesting and I wanted to know more. Yeah. she definitely You definitely lose some of the depth when you get to that point, too. When you're trying to smush two things into one movie. Yeah. So and what happens within the story, so we, we have that set up that Artemis is this really smart kid and he has his um, home life with his father. He's kind of isolated. He stands apart from all the other kids because of his upbringing, because of his training. He's really, really smart. He clones goats. He knows furniture, ancient furniture. He, can, he knows all about the old world of Ireland. Um, and then the crux of the story is, like you said, his father goes missing. And he's kidnapped by opal who's this villain and they need to find the oculus to save his dad which is kind of like an acorn a magical acorn macguffin um and (laughs) it's just like all right this is what we're this is the point this is what we're going to go for because opal's like unless you get this thing for me the oculus your dad's gonna die 100 percent invented for the movie oh really yeah in the book he's uh, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is real. So Holly is a fairy, but she's a leprechaun because she's leprechaun. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is their ransom money. So he, Artemis wants this money to fund him looking for his dad. So the Oculus, 
is just completely invented for the movie because they know where his dad is at this point. Neither is really great. I don't know which way I would have rather have gone, honestly. <laughs> but, uh, oh well, okay. So, so this whole sets up for these two worlds to collide and we get to see that deep down within the Earth is this fairy world called Haven City and we get to meet some of the characters there. So, And it's a weird world. That, I think, is one of the spots where the screenplay kind of falls short. Because this book, Coffer, I am pretty sure, is Irish. So he's blending blending in all of this Irish mythology. Like, the Hill of Tara is real. Fairies and all of that kind of stuff. Banshees and all these other... Yeah. So the mythology that he dumps into the book, completely lost in the movie. Like... Did you wonder why they live underground? Why are they all living underground instead of just hiding in plain sight like they typically are? Sure. You know, you like there's this whole backstory of that in the book that's not in the movie, but they did do a great job revealing this underground. Ooh, where, I, like, just, I disagree, but just, keep going. Like, it's not like a it's not a great design, but you're like, wow, look at that. <laughs> it just you just lose all of the depth of like why it is the way it is. Yeah, I I struggled with this part of the movie. Because, okay, so we talked a little bit about Harry Potter. And I think think where Harry Potter is great is you are right alongside Harry. Right. As he is discovering this, this new world of wizardry, right? And magic and whatnot. And for this movie, you don't really get that. And so when it just kind of throws you into the deep end at this point in the movie, this is where the movie kind of got lost for me. Okay. Um, it's not as immersive because you're not experiencing it as it's kind of being revealed, you know, right. through the, the character's journey. I can see that, yeah. And so, and then this whole thing where this balance between this magic and then also the technology seemed really off that was a lot very of heavy-handed in yes. the movie. You know what it reminded me of? The Santa Claus. <laughs> Especially um, the character of Holly, who's this little girl who's playing this 80-year-old um, fairy who is a cop or whatever, yeah. played by Laura McDonald. I just couldn't, I could not look at her and not think about the elves in right. the North Pole in the Santa Claus movie. Bernard is the oldest one. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, it's, it is... It's almost too silly for me to take. Yeah. See, I don't know. I wanted to I be immersed. I wanted to fall in love with this world. But there were some choices in regards to, I think they could have done it almost Harry Potter style where you're experiencing these things be revealed to Artemis that it would have been a way more immersive and way more effective in going, wow, this is cool. Because you don't even in Harry Potter get the whole world. Right. You know, you just, you get different, within different chapters that happens within the books. Right. I think there's like two different things maybe that could have caused that problem that in writing classes in high school and college, if you take creative writing, they tell you to show and not tell. Yeah. Which is how you get that immersion. And then in Harry Potter, they're using, I think they're kind of using that idea that they have in sci-fi where somebody always has to do the exposition to the character who is the reflection of the audience. Yeah. And I think in Harry Potter, 
Harry, it, the main character, Harry, is the reflection of the audience. He yes. doesn't know anything, but I think they were trying so hard to show and not tell in Artemis Fowl that you're just slapped right in the face with this fairy underground world yeah. with no... It's a fine line, I yeah. think, to like ease you into it. It was kind of jarring. I mean, there's a lot in this movie that I found very jarring. <laughs> um, and let's let's talk about um, Josh Gad as Mulch because you were saying that even that that show would not tell. You know where it does kind of get to be tell is Josh Gad, where he kind of narrates the story, and his character, and which is such an overused thing within a movie is to have someone narrate. But go ahead. It it is, and I think they were replacing. Like, the book is kind of a case file, intro- like, by the fairies introducing you to Artemis Fowl. And, like, this is our first interaction with him. This is how much serious trouble Artemis Fowl is for us. Okay. So, they're, so the first chapter and the last chapter are kind of like, this is, this is our case file for this incident with Artemis. So they're taking Josh Gad's character and replacing that with him. But... Typically, I'm very annoyed by Josh Gad, and I actually, that was one of the, like, highlights for me, is, like, I actually thought he did a really great job, and then their version of dwarves do actually do that weird, like, ground-eating thing, and those special effects were, like, so good and so bad at the same time. Okay, so talking about jarring, (laughs) let's talk about the fact that dwarves... And this mythology, I, I can't tell you what it was like. I don't know what my face was like when I saw this for the first, because I watched it twice over this weekend. And the first time I watched it, I was shocked where he kind of unlocks his jaw. He expands like his mouth snake. like a snake and it gets bigger, his lips, his teeth. And then he starts burrowing using his mouth into the ground because this is what dwarves do. They're good at digging. But then he... He shoots the the remain he shoots the dirt that he's ingesting out his rear end. Yes. Which is what? <laughs> In the book they explain it like that's how dwarves like don't really get found. Like it closes up the tunnel behind them. And <laughs> there's this really delightful scene in the book when he comes out in the room where the there's like a safe behind a portrait and he opens it. But he's by himself. He's got, you know, the the spy contact. And then he hears Butler coming up behind him. But he's also having intestinal issues because he didn't fart out the dirt before he got out of the tunnel. And he blows it all backwards on Butler, knocks him out into the hallway, and knocks him unconscious. <laughs> It's just, I, I don't want to say anything negatively about Coffer, but man, that, that is just a, it's a very odd choice. And maybe the fact that it's geared towards young adults, it is a they very... find it, you know, pretty humorous. But to see it on screen, it's kind, it's, it's jarring, it's weird, it's what am I watching in this moment? And I honestly found that for him, Josh Gad's character of Mulch and Judy Dench's character of Root, I wanted to give them a cough drop throughout throughout the movie mm, um, because yeah, okay. what they were doing, and then with Josh Gad, his performance with his kind of be kind of like a whatever sore throat, it was inconsistent. 
it was inconsistent throughout the whole movie. Um, and then it was just, it was distracting for me. I did not like Josh Gad in this movie. Did he not also look like Aiden Turner from The Hobbit in this movie? Hey, which one was he? Just one of the dwarves. I, like, I, yeah. That was very distracting to me. Okay, yeah, I, I, I've liked Josh Gad in different things. I did not like him in this movie. This is my least favorite Judy Dench performance. Other than, did you see Cats? Um, no, because I heard it was so bad, and I loved that musical so much when I was a kid that I just skipped it. Yeah, I didn't see it either. Um, yeah, this was this was not great. There, this the everything within this fantasy world, you 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 kind of lost me. You know, you lost me in this, yeah, this movie. I think Artemis and Butler were the best jobs that they did. Right. I would have rather preferred, because what you see is you see these two worlds collide. You see Holly go and investigate a situation up on the surface world, and she's trying to figure out what happened to her dad, which is kind of what makes the story collide, because so is Artemis, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, her being this cop and... I think it would have been interesting to see her come and interact with him before kind of seeing so much of that world. I think you could have played something different within the script just to make it work a little bit better. I think it would have played a lot better because honestly, up to the point, like I said, that I saw the fantasy world or the technology driven world of the fairies, it lost me. Yeah. And I think that to to me, that's a bummer since I did sit and read the first book because I didn't feel like that reading the book and it also lost me too like knowing that I needed to pay attention and getting kind of toward the end it did feel kind of tedious even though the movie was moving so quickly yeah that it was just so shiny and so flashy at some points that the effects were great and they were so clean and crisp but I felt like they were a little over the top. Yeah. And that kind of lost me a little bit. And then the the screenwriting, losing the depth on some of the characters, kind of lost me a little bit too. And there, there was so much I felt like it was kind of inconsistent or confusing. They didn't explain enough. And again, I think it just comes down to the fact of like, how much are we going to try to force in? And how much are we really going to make this be immersive? Because if you take right. your time, it allows it to be more immersive rather than trying to cram stuff in. Now, were this something that, just piggybacking off of that, is if this were something that I knew the second movie was coming out in a year or two, I think I would be okay sitting with that confusion because some of the stuff like, where did this opal person come from just out of nowhere? Yeah. What do Holly's dad and Artemis's dad have to do with each other? Because that was a plot point that's not in the book either. Right. But if you know that the story is going to keep going, then you have a reason to like... Invest. To be okay with that confusion. Yeah. Because you know... It's like a Westworld season. Sure. Like, I'm confused now, but I know we're going to get to it. Right. Where if the movie is just standing on its own... You're totally right. Some of yeah. that is just very confusing, and you're like, well, they didn't even tie it up. Well, even like this whole time freeze thing, they, the, the elves, or not the elves, the fairies put this bubble around the manor, the house, and that whole situation where time freezes outside of it, and they can kind of explore, the, the fairies can come into that bubble and not you know, have anyone else see them or whatnot. When, when, the, when the thing starts to collapse, and they're like, oh my gosh, the thing is collapsing, 
There's no real threat. It finally collapses after this whole diehard right. scenario ends, and it's just kind of like, what actually happened? Because if sometimes fairies are, would get kind of sucked into this like time bubble thing, and they just got pooped out, and then it was just like right. they were fine. It didn't really feel like there was a um, a threat. It didn't really feel like there were stakes in re- involved in that. Because once it right. pops, it's kind of like time catches up, and it's just like okay. Everything's fine, you know, and I, I, I felt like it didn't leave much to be explained. And I will say the only thing that I really cared about was when the time bubble first happened. You saw this fisherman who gets like <laughs> catapulted out of his boat and I was just like, they better save him. <laughs> like I was worried throughout the majority of the movie about that fisherman and then they saved him. I was like, okay, okay, good. I'm glad they, t- I'm glad they took care of that. Yeah, that's a really good point. That was something I couldn't put my finger on when I was watching it because Coffer has the source material there for high stakes and slightly more hijinksy kind of stuff, and they just chose not to use any of it. Yeah, and I, I just it was it was confusing and it was hard to follow, you know. And it's they they get this MacGuffin right the the acorn Oculus whatever thing. And they're like, okay, we need to give this to Opal or we can just use it to save my dad. And then it just, it ties up, they use it like as a magic spell and they are able to save his dad and they have him back. And like everything just wraps up fine. I was just like, that's it? You know what I mean? Like the, the cost and the stakes of the movie just felt really kind of imbalanced there. Because with YA novels, you can really go into some serious deep things. I think about the Sorcerer's Stones, the climax of that movie well, was crazy. And you know? the, the climax of Lord of the Flies. Yes. Bananas. Yeah. Right. And I, I again, we've mentioned this more than once, but I do think that falls on the, the screenwriter that like either they're not understanding the source material or they're underestimating what 12-year-old kids can handle. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add kind of as we're wrapping up the the kind of the story element, kind of that last little segment? I, it's something I think I would have taken my nephew to if sure. it was in the theater and been happy. I think he would have maybe liked it, you know. Um, maybe not one that I would watch again without the young kids in my family yeah because it just fell so flat from the book for me yeah my my final thoughts um and then i'll let you kind of i'll do my final thoughts and rating and then if you want to put your final thoughts and rating on that'll be good um so this this was a struggle this was a struggle and i think disney in making this movie did not know what they had I, I think they're kind of like, okay, let's try to con, con, like get all this stuff from maybe one or two books within this movie. Um, and they don't let enough of it breathe for you to maybe have longevity. And I think there is a weird kind of pressure of not knowing what was going to come of this. And that really comes from the pre-production of this movie as they're looking to set out to tell this story in film. And so where things felt rushed and confused, that came from that. And if then if things felt a little bit unresolved and you kind of wanted more and you're like, oh, could this be setting up a sequel? That's where that comes from as well. And I don't think we're going to get a sequel. I don't think 
they're obviously not making the money they wanted off of this because it's not hitting theaters. Um, and they're kind of taking the, the loss on this one, but who knows? They, they might have not able to make as much money as they wanted to in theaters either. So they're able to kind of protect their numbers this way by um, having it come out on Disney+. Plus. I think the elements that I found enjoyable was Artemis himself and Colin Farrell, but everything within the fantasy world, that magical world, just was not immersive enough for me, and it was really kind of just left me confused in the end, and I'd probably give it a two-star rating out of five. So mm. two acorns, magical acorns <laughs> out of five. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, and I think the thing that sticks out for me the most is that it was such a low stakes adaptation of a high stakes story. Um, it For people who aren't interested in picking up the book, if you do want to read it and haven't, skip a little bit. But they do actually threaten to wipe out Artemis and Butler and his sister and Artemis's mom. So Holly has to figure out how to get them to not do that. Like, there are stakes, and they just chose not to go with that. And I I think the uncertainty of whether or not there would be a sequel is what made them make it so muddy, yeah. maybe. Because cause I think you're right. There's There's so much good gold here for them to make a movie out of. Like, something exciting for younger audiences who are maybe at that age where they're not interested in watching Pets 2. Right. Or another Cars movie, but they're not old enough to maybe sit through an Avengers movie or a DC movie. Sure. You're hitting that target target audience that would love Harry Potter, but Harry Potter's not in theaters anymore. So... It's great that they're still interested in making young adult movies into movies, but I think they're trying they try so hard to make them into ones that already exist stylistically that you kind of lose the charm that right. makes kids like these books in the first place. Yep. And I think it would be reasonable to say, "Hey, let's have a little like a kid's version of Die Hard that is yeah. reasonable for them to ingest instead of having them watch Bruce Willis kill a bunch of people. But that doesn't mean it needs to be Harry Potter or it needs to be The Hunger Games. It can be its own thing. And I think just that weird perfect storm of you know trying to appease Hollywood and follow the source material and convince Disney that there should be a sequel just turns it into kind of a mess. Yeah. I'd say maybe like two out of five pairs of Holly's flashy fairy wings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. And, I, and I, it makes me sad because honestly, as far as the mythology that kind of goes around this movie and, and it's featured within Ireland, I mean, I think it is kind of untapped in a lot of ways. And I think it'd be really cool to explore that more. I kind of want to see that world a little bit more because... Disney at this point, I think the only movies within their entire library that is centered around um, Ireland is Darby O'Gill and the Little People and maybe the Fighting Prince of Donegal, <laughs> which are like, they're from the 50s and 60s. Right. You know, and kids are not going to go and explore that. And you don't get that kind of Harry Potter flavor right. that you would with this. 
Okay, so that's our review of the movie Artemis Fowl. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, Terry and I will break down all the news that came out this past week for Disney+. Plus. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone. We have, we have a few exciting news pieces to break down this week. Terry, I know you know how this works, but what I want to do is, is run through these, um, the, the few pieces that we have here, and then we will talk about whatever stands out for each of us. Sound good? Yes. All right. Here are the news pieces for this week. Number one, reports are saying that the MCU series Hawkeye, starring actor Jeremy Renner, will start filming this September. Number two. Four movies that were scheduled for a later Disney Plus release got pushed back and will be dropping much sooner than expected. The live-action Jungle Book moved from May 30th, 2021 to June 19th, 2020, just in a couple weeks. Alice Through the Looking Glass moved from July 2022 and got moved to this August, August 28th, 2020. The live-action Beauty and the Beast movie moves from... October 1st, 2020 to August 21st, 2020, just a couple months, and Pirates Dead Men Tell No Tale moved from December 2nd, 2020 to July 24th, 2020, almost five months. Um, number three, Rick Riordan, writer of the Percy Jackson books, speaks out again against the movies that came out in 2010 and 2013. But he is remaining hopeful, though, that the series that is in development on Disney Plus for the books, um, he's excited about it. And he's, he's like, he remains hopeful. Number four, it has been announced that the 90s ABC show that was produced by the Jim Henson company Dinosaurs will be coming to Disney Plus this fall. And then finally, number five, another Disney movie skips theaters and is going to Disney Plus. It's called The One and Only Ivan. It's a story of a gorilla named Ivan who tries to piece together his past with the help of an elephant named Stella as they hatch a plan to escape captivity. The movie stars Sam Rockwell, Angelina Jolie, and Bryan Cranston and will be made available of, um, on August 21st this year. So, Terry, what stands out to you? What do you want to talk about? I love Hawkeye. Like, a lot. You do. Uh, oh, gosh. What was that one that I really liked? The Matt Fraction one. Oh, yeah, the comic book series by Matt Fraction. Yeah. yeah, the one that was just in gray and purple. Yes. But also Hawkeye is just such an underrated Avenger, which is hysterical because so, because he's underrated. The internet just loves him, so he's actually just, like, really popular. I'm excited to see what they do with all of the TV series that they're going to do for Marvel. I'm excited about Hawkeye and Loki mm-hmm. and then... If they ever manage to make Squirrel Girl, I'll will lose my mind. Well, I think there was one planned, and that was going to be a Hulu like a, series of Squirrel okay. Girl. Okay, yeah. I thought they were going to do like a cartoon or something. Is something I, heard I think it point. is going to be cartoon, but it's going to be. It kind of I hear different multiple different things yeah. in regards to that. But I would be interested. Like I want to see a Hawkeye series from <laughs> Thanos snap to Scarlett Johansson. Convincing him to stop killing a bunch of people—that okay. would be so interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I wonder where they're gonna go as a direction of this because, like you said, you mentioned Matt Fraction, which I think in the last, 
I think the history of the character is probably the most popular thing that um, the character was a, was in was this comic book series in which Kate Bishop is is mm. featured a great deal, and I think what we're seeing right now with a lot of the MCU things is kind of this handing off of the baton. I think that's what we're going to kind of see maybe with Black Widow, with Scarlett Johansson, right. to Florence Pugh. And I wonder for whoever they're going to get to play Kate Bishop in this movie, if we're going to see the mantle of Hawkeye be handed off to um, kind of a young female Hawkeye. Yeah, that would be really interesting too because I don't think fa- people who are fans of movie franchises are not used to those handoffs the way that comic book fans are sure because you know matt fractions hawkeye run only lasted so long and then you reboot it and you do it again and his was a reboot from something else and they do that with daredevil and with captain america and it's interesting to think how moviegoers are gonna deal with changes in tone and like if they ever did um I'm blanking on Spider-Man. Not um, Peter Parker. The one oh, who Miles came... Morales? Yeah. Like, what would happen if they ever had Miles? Right. As, like, a live-action Spider-Man three-run of movies. That would be so cool. Which people are speculating could be actually coming a lot sooner than, than you thought because of the success of Spider-Verse and him getting his own video game. Right. So they're thinking it's coming down the pike. So I will be interested... I am interested to see if they are going to keep doing, like, the Avengers Hawkeye or if this is going to be different or, like, that's that's exciting. Okay. Any Anything else you want to talk about? I would... I would watch a Percy, Percy Jackson. I did not read those books or watch that movie, but I know that they were right in the same vein as Artemis Fowl and Harry Potter. So I would kind of be interested to see what a reboot would look like. Right. Because I did not have good impressions of the other two. I, uh, I, so. This is, this is totally lost on me. I've never seen the, the movies. Yeah. So I don't even know what to say in regards to this. You know, I, I'm going to probably watch them eventually. Right. And I so I don't know how much of a travesty this is on the book series, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then that dinosaurs, I did not Google it and I meant to. That's like the the one with like the Jim Henson style. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Not the mama. Not the mama. <laughs> I'm the baby. Gotta love me. This, if you were a 90s kid, you were, you knew what this was. I just saw that when you sent it to me and I just thought it was too good to be true and I meant to google it that's awesome yeah I'm stoked I'm stoked so many kids I babysit are just gonna either love it or be completely terrified I would I would love to see some more of this because ABC falls under Disney right I would love to see some of that more of that TGIF stuff that I grew up on I mean they already have Boy Meets World and now they're getting dinosaurs if they were to get Family Matters or they were to get step by step. I think that would be that would be great. I would sit and rewatch Family Matters. Yeah, you gotta sure. you gotta love Urkel. I do, I <laughs> do very much. Um, yeah. So what do you, what are your speculations, or what do you know about this the one and only Ivan movie? Absolutely nothing. Okay. But I am a Sam Rockwell fan. Yes. I don't love movies about animals. Okay. Because either they're really silly or they're really sad. That's true. Like, I'm a big fan of Tarzan, but that's kind of it. Oh, okay. and George of the Jungle. Okay. But that's not really an animal movie so much as he has a gorilla friend. Yeah. 
Yeah, and this, this um, I think as, as far as the plan, I actually kind of copied and pasted this directly off of um, IMDB as far as the description goes. But um, I think as he is escaping captivity, it is actually um, a circus kind of a feel. So, which is kind of, again, like you, think Dumbo? Of, you think Dumbo, which is Disney again. You know, and this is based on a book as well. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, I, I haven't, I've seen some images, and it'll be interesting to know what, what this is going to be like. Anything else in regards to the news that really you want to say more about Ivan or anything else? No, I, the cast for Ivan looks really interesting. A lot of names I don't recognize. So that's cool. And then, there, and then there's Danny DeVito. Okay. Again, which, if it's a circus movie. I mean, <laughs> I can only hope that it would be some combination of Frank from Always Sunny and his character in Hercules. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Do you see that they're going to be making a live-action Hercules they're talking about? And they people really want Danny DeVito to still play the character of Phil? It's really the only, like... It's really the only option. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, see, I don't know. Like, it's not like Mufasa where you have to have James Earl Jones yeah, for me. I don't... But who else would be Phil? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a casting director. I can't say. Okay. Well, anyway, guys, um, that is this week's episode. Terry, thank you for coming on. Is there anything you would like for the listeners to know? Any kind of... Thing you want to plug? Oh, n- no. <laughs> I mean, I'm on Instagram, but I post about my cat and uh-huh. books and running. Sure. So, nothing really to do with Disney or movies. Uh, I don't know. Just wash your hands, guys. Stay safe. Enjoy, enjoy some media this week that you wouldn't normally enjoy. Like a TV show or something. Yeah. Pl- dive into something you've been looking to dive into that you hadn't had the chance to do so yeah. before now. I almost started getting into the, into the office before the gym closed because the gym always had the office on when I was in there. There you go. Do Who that. Uh, Still on Netflix. But Lost. <laughs> on Hulu. I would like to plug Lost, a 10-year-old ABC television show. So you guys should watch that if you haven't seen it. Right. And I mean, as, we're ta- as we were talking about Artemis Fowl, there's nothing confusing or unresolved um, with <laughs> no. Lost in the, no, in the, not in at the all. slightest bit. And if you also like to be confused, Westworld is another plug that we could make here because boy howdy, is that confusing. <laughs> all right. Well, Terry, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's this week's episode of Extreming Disney. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. A couple things that I need to do. Uh, I need to tell you, obviously, what we're going to be doing next week. But before we do that, I got to tell you guys the results of the poll that I put out there with the Frozen 2 draft that me and my guest from two weeks ago, Devin, put on. We drafted the different characters from Frozen 2, and it made up our Westeros Game of Thrones house. And you guys voted on, on whose house you thought would be come out victorious or which house you were wanting to be a part of. 
and obviously Devin's house wins. So Devin, if you're listening, good job. You beat me. All right. This next week's episode is another Saturday morning cartoon episode. And I got to tell you, I am so excited about these. I love these. Again, Saturday morning cartoons was the biggest thing for me growing up. So to be able to feature these um, different cartoons that I grew up on or maybe I didn't grow up on just thrills me. So the date for this week's episode is March 13th, 1999. And I'm excited to say that two of the cartoons that we are going to be looking at are ones that I remember um, when I probably should have stopped watching cartoons at that age, but I still did. Anyway, we're going to be looking at Recess. So Recess was my pick um, between me and my guests and This is going to be from Season 2, Episode 3 on Extreming Disney. The episode is called Principal for a Day and also The Beauty Contest. It's kind of broken up in half within that series. The other show that we're going to be watching is Hercules, the animated series, which is obviously based off of the Hercules movie that came out in the late 90s as well. It is from Season 1, Episode 65. It's actually the last one offered on Disney+, Plus, so that's kind of cool. And... The episode is called Herc and the Tiff on Olympus. All right, guys, um, I am excited for that. I Again, I love these Saturday morning cartoons episodes. I hope you guys catch up, watch those shows, watch those episodes before next week, and I'll see you next time on Extreming Disney. Bye-bye.